Get my mic on here. Uh, today, uh, I was looking over, uh, just thinking about that, that nature of love, especially during the Easter season and how we can spend our entire lives just learning to love. And it's just something that um, it's always a challenge and it always uh, has its own satisfaction. And today, we're going to look at some of these words um, from Jesus here on the, the Sermon on the Mount here. And this is the Matthew 5. And this particular section is called Love for Enemies. Well, you have heard it, heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In this verse, I think I've spoken on this several times. It's always challenging for me at least. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is the word of God for each and every one of us here today. Amen. Speaking of our divine in nature class, I just there's a little spider right on my post-it note here, and so, well, where am I supposed to put it then? Okay, right there. Okay. All right. Well, uh, be perfect. Be perfect as your uh, heavenly Father is perfect. I think the reason I return to that so often. That particular verse, I'm sure the intentions were good, has created a lot of problems, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. As we strive, we want to be our best, but trying to strive to be perfect, and what what does that actually mean? Uh, So as we take some time just to pray and reflect on that verse, what is your understanding of perfection or your lack of understanding? What What does that mean to you? So let's take a few moments just to pray and and to reflect on that, let us, let us pray. Having that perfection. Um, and it's something that I think maybe we all certainly struggle with from time to time. And uh, <clears throat> I, I call this meditation just uh, beautiful and flawed. And even that is just, we have a different mindset that we can be very beautiful and holy and, and deeply flawed at the very same time. And that's okay. Or you might call it, maybe that's perfect. <laughs> we can embrace that or understand that. So be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I'm going to kind of wander through a story that ends up with this struggle with uh, uh, perfectionism here. Well, there was uh, the young new- newlyweds. They got married in a mountain meadow surrounded by ancient yet young ponderosa pine. And the blue skies were touching the earth and blades of green grass were reaching towards the sun. And friends and family from across the country and even a few international guests arrived to celebrate new life and love everlasting. And these weddings are always just a festive occasion and just so much hope and so much promise. And while walking down the dirt path to the meadow, the the family matriarch and her sister saw two coiled rattlesnakes basking in the morning sun. And fortunately, the snakes disappeared into the tall grass, but all the guests were on 
alert. And a lot of people are saying, we told him not to get married out here. <laughs> this is a bad idea. It's not, it's not perfect. And Aunt Thelma told the bride and groom, if you have two rattlesnakes at your wedding, it's a sign that you're going to have at least 10 children. <laughs> and Uncle Roy, uh, Thelma's husband, said, it's a sign that you should get married in a church where it's safe. <laughs> and the newlyweds laughed, and nothing could disturb their peace and their love. And the guests gathered in a circle around the couple and also the, the minister to show their unbroken support and solidarity, and to keep any uninvited guests that rattled and hissed outside. And after prayers and singing songs and, and exchanging vows, the minister took off his, his green stole and he wrapped it gently and firmly around the bride and groom's hands. And he clasped his hands over that stole in their hands as well. And the parents and the grandparents and friends and family, they also placed their hands on the newly married couple. And the minister prayed. He prayed, May this relationship be rooted and grounded in God's never-ending love and grace. And may love pour from them like a mighty river. And they may, may they walk through the storms of life hand in hand. And whether they have no children, or one child, or ten children, may they have patience and kindness, and forgiveness for one another. And then he raised his voice. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen. And a chorus of amens followed. And it was beautiful and full of hope. And the little kids, against their parents' warnings, they ran off to look for snakes and Uncle Bill, the farmer who spent most of his life outdoors in nature, he saw a big snake disappearing into a hole. And he reached his hand into the hole and pulled the snake out by its tail. And it quickly coiled around his arm. And Uncle Bill raised his arm up with that big snake coiled around it. And with his offhand, he held the, the snake behind its head. And to anyone, to anyone with ears to hear, Uncle Bill yelled, It's just a bull snake. It's just a bull snake. You don't have to be scared of a bull snake. And the kids gathered around old Uncle Bill, and their parents yelled, Get away from that snake. And Uncle Bill, a World War II vet and a former prisoner of war, said, Well, sure you can pet him. Just don't pet his head, because he might bite you. And after the hubbub died down and everyone went through the receiving line, plenty of pictures were taken of the smiling bride and groom with every combination possible of parents and grandparents and cousins and friends. But no one took a picture of the snake or Aunt Thelma, who nearly fainted because she was sure that Uncle Bill's bull snake was indeed a rattlesnake. And at the reception, everybody laughed and smiled and offered their blessings to the newlyweds. You are a match made in heaven. The love you two share inspires me. I still think you're going to have 10 children. And you will have a wonderful life together. And then the matriarch stepped forward and she said, I love you all and don't give up. 
don't give up. And the newlyweds scratch their heads. What did grandma mean by that? And their best friends made toast to their enduring love. And late that night, how long after everyone had left, the groom lay awake next to his bride. And he thought, am I good enough for her? What about my temper? What happens when my temper surfaces and she discovers that? And what if I can't meet her needs? And what happens if I mess up? Will she still love me? And it was a sleepless night. And we all struggle. We all struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And Anna Blaman writes, we think we never do enough. And what we do is never done well enough. And she goes, and I am constantly dwelling in my human failings. And yet Jesus loves imperfect people. The disciples, they argue and they fight with one another. And Jesus, they abandon him. And they just don't get him. But Jesus continues to love and to forgive imperfect people. And Richard Rohr writes, If we expect or need people, including ourselves, to be perfect or even to our liking, we have created a certain plan for a very unhappy life. If we're expecting others to be perfect or even ourselves, and we have created a certain plan for a very unhappy life, because nobody does it perfectly, and accepting this, our innate shortcomings can bring us to a healthy humility. And we can relax and we become less judgmental and more accepting and more loving. And we embrace our human condition that we all make mistakes, that we can be perfectly whole and broken at the very same time. And Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And y'all touched on these different concepts or ideas about perfections. And I think our society picked more, I'm going off of Ron Rollheiser, picked more of the Greek understanding of perfection, which was being flawless and making all the right decisions. They believed they could obtain this kind of perfection. But for the Hebrews, to be perfect simply meant to walk with God despite our flaws. To walk with God despite our flaws. And perfection means being in the divine presence, even though we are not perfectly whole, good, true, or beautiful. And then Rohr adds his definition, true perfection, and many of you have mentioned this, true perfection is the ability to include imperfection. I love that. True perfection is the ability to include imperfection. So what is our understanding, our relationship with perfect or perfection. And the newlyweds, they struggled, and over the years, they learned to love one another with all of their flaws. But it was years and years to accept their own flaws as well as each other's. And we cannot wait for things to be totally perfect, to fall in love with them, or we'll never love anything or anyone, says Roar. And my prayer for all of us today is that we may embrace the freedom and the joy of loving beautiful, imperfect people, including ourselves. Amen.